everybody, and welcome back to The Counselor's Couch. I'm your host, Calvin Williams, licensed professional counselor. You know, I don't know where you're listening to this podcast from, but man, it's been a nasty, rainy week here. I get mixed feelings about these kind of days. Sometimes I really enjoy a nice rainy day when you can curl up on the couch and watch a good movie or read a good book. But sometimes I dread these days because, well, I got to go out in it, especially when I have to drive in it. Now, I'm not going to turn this session into a rant about my driving and expecting other people to drive like me because, well, then the world would be better off. I'll save that for another session down the road. However, I was reflecting on why I experience anxiety driving during these rainy days. I mean, what makes me hypervigilant besides just above average driving skills? And then it hit me. One of the only accidents I had early in my driving experience took place on a rainy day. Now, it wasn't a tragic accident, no injuries, just a simple slide and bump. In fact, there was minimal damage to either of the vehicles. So why does this image seem so detailed in my memory? I was 18 years old. I can remember what I was wearing and exactly where I was at the time. It's vivid. You know, it's fascinating how the brain can take a snapshot of that moment in time and freeze it. I can even remember how scared I was. I mean, after all, it was my first accident. And of course, I was even more worried about the reactions from my parents. I remember trying to prepare myself for the criticism. So even though this event took place over, well, many years ago, why does it still stir in me anxiety today while driving in the rain? Now, don't get me wrong, I still drive. I've driven in some torrential downpours, snowstorms, floods, and hurricane-force winds. I'm an overcomer. But it's exhausting fighting off the gremlin in my head while I do it. So why is it there in the first place? That's the power of memory and trauma. But before we get started, let me remind you again, nothing provided in this podcast implies a therapeutic relationship between counselor and client. It is solely for education and entertainment. Counseling can help you overcome challenges, enhance your relationships, and develop skills to lead the life you want. If you're considering therapy, then please reach out to a trained, licensed professional in your community. If you are interested in seeking counseling in the Monroe, Louisiana area, or if you live anywhere in Louisiana and you are interested in participating in teletherapy with state-approved professionals, well then contact the providers at HealthPoint Center. Change starts here. Psychology and Counseling Services, HealthPoint is a collaboration of independent professionals who are dedicated to improving your quality of life and guiding you on a positive path toward change. That's HealthPoint Center, located at 1818 Avenue of America, Monroe, Louisiana. Call today to inquire about services, providers, or book an appointment at area code 318-998-2700. Well, it's that time again. So pull up a cushion, kick off your shoes, and grab a cup of coffee. Let's get started with the session. Trauma. Whether it's trauma with a capital T or trauma with a lowercase t, it's still trauma. Now, I know it seems like that word is thrown around a lot nowadays, and perhaps it is. But that doesn't devalue the experiences you have endured in your life journey. Or at least it doesn't have to devalue them. I'm sure there are some people that use trauma as an excuse to remain a victim to the things that have happened in their lives. But isn't that the same with any diagnosis or physical health issue? If the intention is to make an excuse for something you're doing or avoiding, well, then you're going to find one. 
However, I feel we need to separate the pattern of avoidance and excuse development from trauma because trauma is real. Trauma is painful and trauma can control your life if you let it. So what is trauma? Perhaps that's a good place to start. According to the American Psychological Association, trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event, like an accident, a rape, or a natural disaster. So does that clear it up for you? Now, obviously, trauma is not limited to an accident, a rape, or a natural disaster. Trauma is an emotional response to a terrible event. So how do we measure a terrible event? Well, it's funny I should ask that question. According to the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs and the National Center for Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, there are several measures for use by trained professionals to assess the types of trauma and the degree of severity. These include the following, the Brief Trauma Questionnaire, the BTQ, the Combat Exposure Scale, the CES, the COVID-19 Exposure Scale, the Life Events Checklist for the DSM-5 or the LEC-5, the Life Stressors Checklist, the Potential Stressful Events Screening Inventory, or the PSEI, Stressful Life Events Screening Questionnaire, Trauma Assessment for Adults, or the TAA, Trauma History Questionnaire, the THQ, and the Trauma History Screen, the THS, just to name a few. Now, this is not a comprehensive list, so you can see how the assessment and the measurement of trauma can be challenging at times and even controversial. Now, when discussing trauma, you'll often encounter many conflicting views or myths. For example, some people tend to minimize childhood experiences by implying that everybody's childhood was traumatic, which then leads many to confuse hardships or difficult experiences with genuine trauma causing someone to question their own experiences and the safety of their childhood environments. Now, a prime example of this is the current trend towards awareness of ACEs. ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. Now, please don't misunderstand me. ACEs is real, and increasing our awareness of how it impacts a child's life is extremely important. ACEs refers to potentially traumatic events that take place during our developmental years and the specific impact these events have on a child's developing brain. These include issues like violence, abuse, and growing up in a family environment impacted by mental health, substance abuse, and, well, even poverty. These are experiences which can result in actual changes in the child's brain development, which can directly impact a child's ability to cope, to learn, to socialize, and they can even lead to long-term health problems across the lifespan. I believe we can all agree that the impact of these things can be traumatic and life-changing for children. However, making my child take his antibiotic and adherence to a bedtime routine hardly classifies as traumatic, Ethan Williams. Trauma is so much more. Unlike ordinary hardships, trauma tends to be associated with events that are sudden and unpredictable. They involve threats to life or injury and feel beyond a person's sense of control. Situations can be traumatic based on the degree to which they undermine a person's sense of safety, and they create a sense of uncertainty that something catastrophic can happen at any moment. This includes events like auto accidents, loss of a child, 
physical violence, sexual abuse and assault, combat experiences, and even the unexpected loss of a loved one, just to name a few. Now again, this is by no means a complete list of traumatic events, and that's what I want you to understand. There is no complete list. In fact, sometimes it's not even about the event at all. It's about the reaction to the event. The thing to consider about trauma is what happens physically and emotionally during a disturbing event. Disturbing events tend to activate certain parts of the brain, specifically the amygdala. Now, that's an almond-shaped part of the brain responsible for detecting threats. The amygdala responds to a threat by setting off the internal alarms throughout the body to prepare for defense mode. The nervous system responds by releasing adrenaline and other stress hormones activating a fight, flight, or freeze response. Should I run, kick, or curl up on the floor? The immediate response to trauma is fear, anxiety, anger, even aggression, which is a normal response. Usually, as the crisis subsides, these feelings dissipate and a sense of normalcy or safety returns, allowing the experience to fade away from memory. We return the system to the status quo. However, for some people, the memory remains unprocessed, ever-present, allowing the distressing feelings to remain activating an ongoing response from the amygdala, interfering with their ability to function. This creates a trauma reaction. A trauma can often lead to development of emotional disturbances like anxiety, anger, sadness, depression, dissociation, even the inability to experience pleasure or joy. These symptoms are often associated with the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. Now consider that diagnosis for a moment. PTSD is a disorder in our stress response experienced after a traumatic event. We as human beings are designed to respond to stress because, well, stress exists. However, when our stress response is impacted by trauma, the amygdala becomes overstimulated and hyperactive, leading to an outpouring of stress-related hormones, often when it's not prompted or necessary. People are basically living and responding in defense mode, constantly on the lookout for a possible threat, leading to ongoing health issues, sleep problems, and even physical pain. Often these reactions lead to disruptions in relationships, work, or daily functioning, even a lost sense of self. You know, I've had many clients over the years describe it as, I think I'm losing my mind. Unprocessed trauma can even lead to an unawareness of one's reactiveness, like they're on autopilot, leading to self-sabotaging behavior patterns. We can develop subconscious beliefs about self, others, relationships, and the world on which we then base many of our life decisions. It's like the amygdala emotionally hijacks the cortical part of the brain. You know, the part of the brain responsible for concrete, analytical thought and reasoning. You know, the important part that contributes to your daily functioning. So it appears that trauma is more than an emotional response to a terrible event. It's not just about the feeling. It's about the physical response as well. I feel it's important that we increase our awareness of this fact. Trauma impacts us emotionally, mentally, and physically. Understanding this will help us improve the treatment we provide for trauma.
You know, it's often assumed that treatment for overcoming trauma involves talking about the negative experiences. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, we tend to treat mental health issues with pills and skills. It's unfortunate that this strategy tends to limit our abilities to assist clients, especially with traumatic events. And many people avoid seeking assistance for this reason. They don't want to relive the experiences in a therapy session, and they believe that's all we do. Tell me how you feel. And they're not completely wrong. However, as we gain in our understanding of issues like trauma, we're also growing in our ability to provide effective therapies. It helps to understand how the brain works and how the development of our brain is impacted by our experiences and the power of those memories. Actually, research and data has emerged that recognizes talking about and reliving painful memories associated to trauma can have an unhealthy outcome. So, as a result of this information and our growing understanding of brain development, our strategies must change. Everyone's journey to heal trauma is different. Now, as a therapist, I must be prepared to adjust as needed. In fact, it's often easier for the therapist to adjust than the client. Well, or at least it should be, since we're designated as your guide on this journey. I've always been a proponent of an eclectic model of care, since I believe not all clients are the same. You know, if the only tool you have is a hammer, well, then everything starts to look like a nail. A hammer is a great tool, but it doesn't work for everything. This is also the approach I encourage with many of my clients. Perhaps the struggle someone is facing at this moment is a result of using skills they have developed in response to trauma throughout their life. Trauma trapped within their memories that, when triggered, results in a survival skill mislabeled as coping. Perhaps they're not coping at all. They're just surviving. Now, how do we know? Well, look at the fruit of your labor. Reflect on your life. Some people experience trauma and allow it to define them. It creates an identity of a victim, automatically responding to unseen dangers and risks, distancing themselves from others when they truly want to be close. It's important to know that trauma does not have to define you, and you can grow beyond your experiences. I've worked as a therapist for over 25 years now, and I've worked with my share of trauma, anxiety, depression, abuse, loss, and pain. I've also seen tremendous growth in our field of understanding. I personally believe that trauma is miscategorized as a mental health disorder. I truly believe we would be better served treating it as a brain injury, given our understanding of how the brain reacts to traumatic events. Perhaps this would take away the stigma and more people would seek the help they need. Now, for lack of better terms, the brain short circuits when it has difficulty understanding something, and trauma is something the brain cannot make rational. How does the brain make rational that a person who is supposed to protect you from harm hurts you for their own sexual pleasure? How does the brain make rational that your peer in your third period English class showed up with a gun in school today? Or that you survived the accident and the person next to you did not? Now, I could go on and on, but I think you probably get my point. Some things we can't make sense of without help. I recently completed my first basic training block to provide EMDR, and I'm so excited about what this can offer for clients. EMDR stands for Eye Movement 
desensitization, and reprocessing. It's a structured therapy that encourages clients to briefly focus on the traumatic memory while simultaneously experiencing bilateral stimulation, which is typically eye movements from side to side. This is associated with a reduction in the vividness and emotion associated with traumatic memories. It's an extensively researched, effective psychotherapy proven to help people recover from trauma and PTSD symptoms, and so much more. Ongoing research supports positive clinical outcomes showing EMDR therapy as a helpful treatment for disorders such as anxiety, depression, OCD, chronic pain, addictions, and other distressing life experiences. It's recognized by organizations worldwide as an effective form of treatment. EMDR therapy does not require talking in detail about the disturbing memories or completing lengthy homework assignments between sessions. Rather than focusing on changing the emotions, thoughts, or behaviors resulting from the trauma, EMDR allows the brain to resume its natural healing process. Now, according to an explanation from the EMDR International Association, or EMDRIA, our brains have a natural way to recover from traumatic memories and events. This process involves communication between the amygdala, which is the alarm signal for stressful events, the hippocampus, which assists with learning, including memories about safety and danger, and the prefrontal cortex, which analyzes and controls behavior and emotion. While many times traumatic experiences can be managed and resolved spontaneously, some may not be processed completely without help. Stress responses are part of our natural fight, flight, or freeze instincts. When distress from a disturbing event remains, the upsetting images, thoughts, and emotions may create an overwhelming feeling of being back in that moment or of being frozen in time. EMDR therapy helps the brain process these memories and allows normal healing to resume. The experience is still remembered, but the fight, flight, or freeze response from the original event is resolved. Now, isn't this fascinating stuff? It was only in the late 1980s that the founder of EMDR, Dr. Francine Shapiro, stumbled upon the connection between eye movement and upsetting memories, at which time she committed a lifetime of study and development towards EMDR. If you're really interested in knowing more, then I encourage you to pick up a copy of Getting Past Your Past by Dr. Shapiro. And you can read about it from her own perspective. I will say that EMDR is a mental health intervention that should only be offered by trained, licensed mental health clinicians. It's sad that we lost Dr. Shapiro in 2019, but she left behind an incredible legacy. Now, to give you a brief overview of expectations in EMDR, when the therapist and client agree that this is the best therapeutic approach, remember, we have many tools in the toolbox. This is just one. Initial sessions will focus on identifying client goals and establishing the client's ability to manage stress. Now, when ready for the next phases of EMDR therapy, the client will be asked to focus on a specific event. Attention will be given to a negative image, belief, emotion, and body feeling related to this event, and then to a positive belief that would indicate the issue was resolved. While the client focuses on the upsetting event, the therapist will begin sets of side-to-side eye movements, sounds, or even taps, known as bilateral stimulation. The client will be guided to notice what comes to mind after each set. 
They may experience shifts in insight or changes in images, feelings, or beliefs regarding the event. The client has full control to stop the therapist at any point if needed. The sets of eye movements, sounds, or taps are repeated until the event becomes less disturbing. Now, the term processing in EMDR means setting up a learning state that will allow experiences that are causing problems to be, well, digested and stored appropriately in your brain. That means that what's useful to you from an experience will be learned and stored with appropriate emotions in your brain and be able to guide you in a positive way in the future. Now, the inappropriate emotions, beliefs, and body sensations will be discarded. Negative emotions, feelings, and behaviors are generally caused by unresolved earlier experiences that are pushing you in the wrong direction. The goal of EMDR therapy is to leave you with the emotions, understanding, and perspectives that will lead to healthy and useful behaviors and interactions. Basically, an overall improved level of functioning. Now, if you've ever listened to this podcast, then you know I tend to cultivate a curiosity about things and people. So in training, I can be quite inquisitive. I wondered, if this is so great, then why didn't we start using this long ago? And why was Shapiro's earlier research just so quickly dismissed? Well, first of all, the late 80s and the early 90s was not really that far away. It's a big system and a slow-moving wheel. However, Initially, the technology to support her findings were not readily available. Now, we have the technology to understand and see the direct results of EMDR on brain activity. In her book, The Right of Return, Coming Back from Duty-Induced PTSD, author and therapist Karen Lansing shares her history of treating combat veterans and first responders with EMDR. Now, she also shares multiple SPECT images of clients' brains before and after EMDR treatment. Now, SPECT stands for Single Photon Emission Computerized Tomography. In short, SPECT imaging measures brain activity by allowing us to view the blood supply to various regions of the brain, thus allowing us to see that regions of the brain that are active and what areas are less active. The degree of brain activity has a significant impact on our behavior, thoughts, perceptions, concentration, and moods. For example, when you experience a threat, the brain redirects blood supply to the survival center, the limbic system, including the amygdala. This results in a depletion of blood supply to other less essential regions required for survival. So this explains why we sometimes can't remember our name and address during times of anxiety and stress. Now, isn't this a fascinating time to be alive? The progress that we have made in the last 20 years is incredible, and it's so exciting to think of where we'll be in the next 20 years. Trauma and traumatic experiences will not be going away anytime soon. As much as I would love to live in a world free of it, trauma exists. Isn't it nice to know that our brain has a way of helping us heal and process? It's like I said before, a life without problems doesn't exist. It's a good thing we're designed to be problem solvers. Well, it seems we've reached the end of our session today. I want to thank each of you for listening, and I encourage you to keep coming back. Now, as you move forward this week, I want you to reflect on the term trauma. You know, it's not up to us to judge another's trauma. We're each impacted differently, and we each have different experiences in this journey called life. Ask yourself, am I part of the problem or am I part of the solution? 
Now today I want to leave you with a quote from Dr. Francine Shapiro, the founder of EMDR. Changing the memories that form the way we see ourselves also changes the way we view others. Therefore, our relationships, job performance, what we're willing to do and are able to resist all move in a positive direction. Remember, folks, you're not alone. Live intentionally, love daily, and laugh often. Please subscribe and follow me on whatever format you use to listen to podcasts, and please take a moment to leave a review. These matter more than you know, and they allow us to improve or adjust the show as needed. Just let me know what you think, and take a minute to share the episode with a friend or a family member. I really want to get that message out there this year that you are not alone. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, you can email them directly to calvin at calvincwilliamslpc.com, or you can reach me on Facebook at Williams Professional Counseling Services, LLC, and you can even check out my website at www.calvincwilliamslpc.com. Or if you'd like to schedule a therapy session with me, contact us at Health Point Center, area code 318-998-2700. I always look forward to hearing from listeners, so please feel free to submit topics of interest, comments, or questions. Thanks again for stopping by. And remember, folks, there's always room for you on the counselor's couch.